chapter 7 this morning. Get your Bibles out. We're preaching through the miracles of Jesus. We're going to look in Mark chapter 7 as Jesus heals the mute deaf man. Now, deaf, dumb, and blind is a hard condition to be in. This man could at least see, but he's deaf and he's mute. And he's on a collision course with Jesus. He's going to do a miracle in his life. Mark 7, verse 31 through 37, we're going to see the Scripture chronicle this event. I'm going to read you the text in just a minute. Let's thank God for the Word this morning. Father, we thank You for the Word of God, and we thank You for worship that prepares our heart to receive the Word. Lord, worship and the Word work together. So, Father, this morning, open up our minds and our hearts and drive the principles that are tucked away in Scripture deep into our lives that they would change us from the inside out. Father, let this miracle come alive to us and let our faith be stretched this morning to believe you for the miracles that we need in our lives. For you are a miracle-working God and you still are the same today as you were as Jesus walked to earth. So Lord, rally our faith this morning. I ask it in Jesus' name. And the church said, Amen. Mark chapter 7, I'm going to start in verse 31. Again, he went out from the region of Tyre and came through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee within the region of Decapolis. They brought to him, notice that, they brought to him one who was deaf and spoke with difficulty. And they had implored him to lay his hands on him. Jesus took him aside from the crowd by himself and put his fingers into his ears. After spitting, he touched his hung with saliva and looked up at heaven with a deep sigh he said apophra that means be opened and his ears were opened and immediately his tongue was removed and he began speaking plainly and he gave them orders not to tell anyone but the more he ordered them the more widely they continued to proclaim it they were utterly astonished saying he has done all things well he makes even the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. Here's Jesus, and he's doing what Jesus does. He's on the move. He's moving around from place to place, and wherever he goes, miracles happen. He's raising the dead. He's cleansing lepers. He's healing the sick. He's casting out demons. He's just doing what Jesus does. Notice the movement here, going from place to place. Uh, For a guy who is always surrounded by a crowd, Jesus doesn't really like crowds. And you know, everywhere Jesus went, there's a crowd. He, the, the scripture says he was thronged by people, meaning they were pressed up against him. I mean, it, it was like Beatlemania. You know, you see the pictures where just you, you can't get through the crowd. Here's Jesus. Everybody wants to get a, a word from him, a touch from him, a piece of him. And, and in all that, he, he's not a guy that really likes the crowd. He's not a guy that looks for the crowd. He didn't desire fanfare. It's very important for us to notice his response to these situations. He heals people out of compassion, but he doesn't do it to, you know, pad his resume or to have, you know, people uh, give him, you know, praise and accolades. He didn't want the fanfare. Jesus was not a self-promoter. Now, in our generation, in our world, with the technology that we have, self-promotion goes to a whole new level. You can post things, you can put things online, you got computers, you can have your own channel, I mean, you can have your own site, and you can just promote yourself all the time, and people do. Uh, Our generation, probably the biggest self-promotion generation that ever was. 
And notice, when you promote yourself, you, you never put compromising things on there. You never put bad pictures on, on, online, do you, man? You, you, you take a picture, and you look for that one picture that looks good, right? Maybe you hit the angle just a certain way where you look skinny for a second, you know? The light is just right, or the clothes, you know, or just, you know, it, it's a bad picture, but it looks good. And, and you don't put your bad side or your bad picture. You know, a lot of pictures get cropped, right? You know, we're just getting from the neck up today. That's all we're getting. You know, it's, it's been a long, hard week at the buffet, and you're just getting the neck up this morning. But self-promotion is a big issue. People who promote themselves, you know, they, 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 they create a, a, a pride and ego storm for themselves that forces God to humble them. But Jesus was not a self-promoter. He didn't get excited about the accolades of men. Oh, look at Jesus. There's a good article in the paper about you. They're really impressed with you. Look what it says here. He does all things well. He makes the sick, you know, the blind and the deaf. And no, he's not excited about that. He's on a mission to do his father's will. Now, every, everything I just described there, self-promotion, fanfare, crowds, the accolades of men, the world gets excited about all those things. As children of God, we shouldn't be excited about what the world's excited about, amen? If we get excited about these same things, oh, crowds, and everybody thinks I'm wonderful, and, you know, I got 400 likes on that picture. Man, I hit a deer with a motorcycle. I didn't get even half that many likes. But if we get all excited about that, that would suggest that we are worldly. Now, there are a few ways to insulate ourselves from being worldly. If we esteem the same things that the world esteems, we, we are worldly. But here are three ways to insulate ourselves from being worldly. Number one, by not getting too excited about the opinions of men. Do you realize Jesus did awesome stuff, and one day, Hosanna, Hosanna, you know, oh, glory to God in the highest. The next day, give us Barabbas. The crowd can turn on a dime. Your, the, your group of admirers can turn on a dime. And they often do. And Jesus didn't get excited one way or another. Oh, they like me, they don't like me. He didn't, he didn't let it affect him. He didn't let it dictate his self-worth or, or his mission. John 2, 24 through 25. But Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men. And he had no need that anyone should testify of man, for he knew what was in a man. See, Jesus knew what was in man, and he didn't mean, need man's stamp of approval, so he didn't look for it or long for it or get excited about it. And the truth is, Christians, we should be the same way. Whether they love us or hate us, we should be true to God, and we should accomplish our mission and make that the thing that excites us. Come on, anyone saved this morning, amen? I don't know. Too many people care about what other people think. And then the bottom line is that it only matters what God thinks. The second way we insulate ourselves from becoming worldly is this, by not wasting time being self-promoters. Listen to Psalm 75, 5 through 7. This is awesome. The psalmist says here, lift not up your horn on high. Well, that sounds nice. What is he saying? Don't toot your own horn right? That's, that's a nice way to say that psalmists have a way. They're lyrical geniuses, right? Look at that. Lift not up your own horn on high. Doo -doo -doo. Look at me. I need attention, right? He says, don't do that. It says, speak not with a stiff neck. What's he talking about? 
You ever see people, their nose is up in the air? Ooh. Their posture gives away what's in their heart. And it's proud and it's haughty and it's ugly. And it says here that we're not to toot our own horn and we're not to speak with a stiff neck. Verse 6 of Psalm 75 says, For promotion comes neither from the east nor from the west nor from the south, but God is the judge. He puts one down and he sets one up. Wow. Promotion comes from the Lord. You and I don't need to try and promote ourselves. We shouldn't be self-promoters because we can't promote ourselves. In fact, if we take that route, we, our pride will attract the judgment and discipline of God. The third way we insulate, insulate ourselves from becoming worldly is this, by choosing to have the same focus that Jesus had. John 4, 34, Jesus said to them, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Remember, the disciples were trying to give Jesus some food. He'd been ministering all day. They're like, take something to eat. He says, you know, I have food to eat that you know not of. My meat is to do the will of what? My father who sent me to accomplish his mission. If we'll take that focus that what we're here on earth for uh, every day of our lives is to do the will of God and to accomplish our mission. Look, you and I shouldn't be worried about not living a long life. You and I shouldn't be worried about not, you know, dying too young or whatever these fears that people have. You and I should be afraid that we step into eternity, not have completed the mission God sent us to complete. Amen. I don't want to get to heaven, you know, early. And, and, and everybody's like, God's like, what are you doing here? You weren't done. You, 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 didn't, you didn't finish the course. You didn't run the race. You didn't fight the fight. You're early. No, I don't want to do that. And you shouldn't want to do that. And all the things we do in a day and all the things we do in a lifetime, if we don't accomplish the purpose of God for our lives, we've missed it. Worldly people do their own thing, and they could care less about what God's doing. Worldly people promote themselves because they want attention to lift themselves up above others. Worldly people get excited when everybody speaks well of them. But Christians don't. We should be different. Verse 32, so some, a pretty common theme that we're beginning to see here. In verse 32, it says, They brought him, one who is deaf, and spoke with difficulty, and they implored him to lay his hands on them. So I want you to focus in on the word they. They, uh, and, and you might look at that and you say it's kind of a, you know, obscure word, but there's a they in there. They brought him to them. Who's him? The man who's deaf and can't speak. They brought him. Who is they? A lot of people hear a lot about they when they have children. Did you ever notice your children are always talking about they? They took my homework. They made me late. They did it. That's why I did it. They have new sneakers. I want new sneakers. They have new pants. Come on. It's always they. And, and it's, it's the focus is going on a group of people that are kind of nameless, and they're kind of obscure. And here, the they brings this man to Jesus. Now, who is the they for the deaf mute? Well, they're a group of people who are willing to get involved in a situation that will facilitate a miracle in this man's life. Their names aren't listed. We don't know who they are. I don't have a picture Bible, so their faces aren't here. But they brought this guy to Jesus. And notice, I want you to notice something about they. They were not in it for what they could get for themselves. 
See, and this is what we got to understand. God is looking for people who want to see the kingdom of God advanced in other people's lives, who want to get their hands dirty to help others, who want to get in the trenches and help the sick and the broken and the hurting. But you know what? Our world is too busy with what's in it for me. Well, why should I come to church? What's in it for me? Why, why should I serve in ministry? What's in it for me? Why should I help drag some you know, guy around who has physical uh, problems here so he can have a, an encounter with Jesus and fi- get a miracle in his life? You see, uh, the they is very important. And we, the church, the hands and feet of Jesus need to be the they. You and I need to grab hold of our friends and, uh, that are going through trauma. We need to grab hold of our neighbors who may be going through divorce or, you know, financial failure. And we need to drag them to church so they can encounter Jesus, amen? There, there's too many empty seats here. There's too many people out there that need to encounter the presence of God, to need to see what worship is, to need to see the love of God, to hear the scripture preached with the anointing. And you and I are the they that are supposed to get them here. It reminds me of the paralytics four friends that lowered their buddy through the roof. They ripped the roof up. They lowered him down. We preached through that miracle. Those four friends are a blessing. We pray for friends like that. We try to be friends like that. But what did the the day do for this man? They brought him, and then they pled his case. Notice that? They brought him to Jesus, and, you know, the guy couldn't speak well, couldn't communicate on his own behalf. He couldn't hear too good. Yet these guys grab a hold of Jesus and say, this guy over here, Jesus, lay your hands on him. Why? Because he needs a miracle. Who are the people who are praying for you? Who are the people who are storming the gates of heaven with your your mouth on their lips and they're crying out to God for you? Who are the people who are leading you closer to Christ, who are encouraging you to believe for a miracle? Whoever they are, be very thankful for them. Amen. Amen whoever they are. You got parents praying for you, grandparents praying for you, friends, neighbors, people in the church. Whoever they are, be very thankful for them. The they is important. Now, this guy's issue was that he was deaf, and that condition had affected his speech. Many of you know people who, you know, they can't hear. They don't hear how words are supposed to be pronounced, and they have a hard time, and their speech is affected. So here's, you know, a serious issue here. He can't hear and he can't speak intelligently and people can't understand what he's saying. Now, you might think, well, you know, it's a tough situation, but if we dig into it, it's a lot more serious than we think. He can't hear, he's tongue-tied. So that means meaningful communication with others is difficult to impossible. And what does that do? That makes this guy feel disconnected and isolated. Have you ever felt disconnected? Have you ever felt like you couldn't, you know, fit in or you couldn't make a connection with someone? Did you ever feel all alone or isolated? It's almost a rhetorical question because all of us have felt that. You know what? I'm not, I'm not connected. I'm not seeing eye to eye. I, I feel alone. You could be in a crowded room and you're surrounded by people and you still, in your heart, you feel alone. This guy had more going on than the fact that he was just, you know, had a hearing problem and had a speech problem. He was isolated. You see, if the enemy can isolate us, he can pick us off and destroy us. 
It's been said over and over again. What, who does the lion attack? He doesn't attack the strong. He doesn't attack the whole herd. He attacks the straggler that breaks off that one little impala, that little one with the weak knees who gets separated from its mother. And what does Mr. Lion do? He's like, dinner. And it's the same thing with Christians. The, the, the leadership, the body, when we're all together, there's strength in numbers. There's protection in that. But when we're isolated from each other, when we're isolated from the body, when we're isolated from God, we become a spiritual straggler. And the enemy targets us for destruction. They brought him. They pleaded his case. This man felt disconnected. He felt isolated. He felt alone. And we know that that's an emotionally devastating place to be. Surrounded by people, yet feeling disconnected from everyone. Surrounded by a crowd, yet feeling isolated and alone. In verse 33, Jesus responds to the pleas of those who had advocated for this man. And he does you know, give him his attention. He is going to minister to him. But look what he does in verse 33. It's so interesting. Jesus took him aside from the crowd by himself. Are you kidding me, Jesus? Here's a guy who feels isolated, and the first thing you do is isolate him? That's interesting, isn't it? Did you ever pray for something going on in your life and God gives you more of it? I'm having conflict with everyone. It's going to get worse this week. Hang in there. He's isolated. Why, Jesus, why would you isolate a person who feels isolated? You know, let him be with his friends. Let him be with the people who brought Let them all have a little miracle together. We can all get goosebumps. It'll be great. We'll write it down in the New Testament. Got any sense of humor out there? No, he isolates the guy. And right away I picked this up and I'm like, what's going on here? You see, the problem was... This man felt alone in his heart, and though he was surrounded by crowds of people, he needed to be isolated to be with Jesus. He needed some alone time with the Lord, amen? And you and I need some alone time with Jesus. So the first thing he does is he separates him, and he takes him aside. Why? Because what this guy really needs is an intimate interaction with Jesus Christ so that his issues could be healed. Now, people can lead other people to the Lord, but at some point, even when we lead people to the Lord, we've got to let them go so that they can be alone with the Lord, amen? We can come to church and we can worship together and we can have corporate worship and we can hear the word, but it's our alone time with Jesus that builds our faith and solves our issues. So, it's our alone time. People need to be alone with the Lord. You know, and without fear of contradiction, I can say the main reason that so many of us are worn out. You know, Kelly spoke to weariness today, and I, I felt that many times in my own life, and while I'm preaching, I feel just a weariness in the body of Christ. The reason we're worn out and we're weary and we're broken down is because we're not getting enough alone time with Jesus. You say, well, you got anything else for us? Because, you know, that we've heard that before. But the truth is, I don't have anything else for you. I can't tell you stand on your head, quote three Bible scriptures, say a Hail Mary. No, it, none of that's going to work. Listen, it's alone time with Jesus. That's what's going to work. It's, 
It's turning off the phone. It's shutting down the computer. It's turning off the TV. It's getting quiet. It's getting in his presence. And that's where the fullness of joy is that he's going to pour and there's going to be a transfer. There's going to be a connection that will shatter our isolation. And that's exactly what was happening in this man's life. Felt isolated, but he was about to connect with Jesus in a way that would solve and heal all of his own issues. We can talk about Jesus, we can hear about Jesus, but until we get alone with Jesus and begin to know him, our lives will not change. Charles Stanley said this about the importance of spending time alone with God. He said, we can be tired, weary, and emotionally distraught, but after spending time alone with God, we'll find that he injects our bodies with energy, power, and strength. The time we spend alone with God will transform our character, increase our devotion. Then our integrity and godly behavior in an unbelieving world will make others long to know the Lord. You see, our alone time not only affects us, it affects all those around us. Have you ever been around somebody that needed more alone time with Jesus? Have you ever been around somebody that needed more sleep? Come on, you know when so- someone wakes up tired and they're grouchy. You know, some days when you get up, you just need to, you know, try again. Anybody have a day like that? You wake up tired? Oh, Jesus. But, you know, when we're alone with Jesus and he fills us up and he, he heals our issues and he gives us all the things that we long for and we lacked, that's going to spill over to other people. You know, time in God's presence makes us spiritually attractive. When Moses came down the mountain, he was shining with that Shekinah glory. Why? Because he was in the presence of God. Do you remember when he came down? You know, Charlton Heston, he had the two tablets. Remember? He comes down, he's glowing, and all the people are like, ah! What was that? That was the afterglow being in God's presence. You see, when we're in God's presence... Look, I feel like I'm preaching my guts out here and some of you go, I don't care what you say. I'm too busy. I'm not going to do it. Listen, we got to come. If we're too busy, God will break us down and allow life to overwhelm us until we run to the secret place. Amen. We can be stiff necked about it. Oh, another sermon telling us to read our Bible and pray. Well, there again, I don't know what else you want me to tell you. We heard this before. Such a powerful thing to spend time alone with Jesus. I need more of it. I know you need more of it. The church needs more of it. Why? Because the afterglow of his presence spills out of our lives and it touches all those around us. And they see God in and through us. And that's the whole point of the drill. Now, the text move on here. in verse 33, it's kind of interesting. He takes him aside. He, he ministers to him. Now, the second half of the verse is where it gets a little bit crazy here. Jesus took him aside from the crowd by himself. Okay, we've, we understand why he did that. And he put his fingers in his ears. And after spitting, what? He touched his tongue with saliva. Let's just stop there for a second. I asked for a service, what do you think about the second half of verse 33? And we all agreed, it's weird. That's weird. Jesus 
The guy can't hear, so what does he do? He plugs his ears. Then he starts spitting. Then he's touching tongues. I mean, it's all just weird. Now, if you're thinking it's weird, I'm with you. But I got to be honest with you. It makes me a little anxious when people copy some very unique things that Jesus did as if it was intended to be a spiritual pattern. Come on, you charismaniacs. Come on. Yeah, oh, what we're going to do is we're going to have a, a earplug and spitting ministry, and we're all going to just come up to the front of the altar. And No! No, that's not, you're not supposed to, this is a unique thing here. You know, and there are Christians, and, and, you know, bless their hearts, and you know if you're Southern, that means they're stupid, bless their hearts, but they think this is what we're supposed to do. Now we're plugging ears, we're spitting, you know, they're the same people who make whips and overturn tables and get class A felonies, and you know, there are some things that Jesus did that are weird, that were unique, that were just for that situation, but we're not supposed to make a spiritual pattern out of those things. And it makes me uncomfortable that many times people copy unique things as if they were supposed to, you know, we were supposed to do them. Uh, I wouldn't recommend sticking your fingers in anybody's ears. Don't spit on people. Pastor Rick, I need bail money. I was just applying the sermon today. Look, I I would not do any of these things unless the Holy Spirit very, very specifically instructed me to do it. But these were not to be a a spiritual pattern. They They were, you know, a unique expression here that Jesus did. Jesus did some weird things. Can we agree? The prophets did some weird things. Are you aware of what some of the prophets did? Let's look at this. The weird things Jesus did. He spit on people. He made mud out of spit and wiped it on people. Hello, don't try that. If there's any place in the Bible where it said, don't try this at home, this is probably one of the spots right here. He, you know, making mud pies out of spit and, and wipes it on the guy's eyes. Jesus touched lepers. That was not, you know, a recommended procedure of the day. You stayed away from lepers because why? It was a communicable disease. And Jesus is laying hands on him. He's healing them. He's praying for him. Jesus talked to the woman at the well, breaking cultural taboos. Uh, a Jew talking to a Samaritan woman here. You know, Jesus always smashed the taboos. And he did some weird things, and they were unique. How about the prophets? You know, the prophet Ezekiel laid on his side for 390 days. Wow. I don't know, you know, there again, I wouldn't say, you know, we're going to have the prophet Ezekiel time of laying on your side for 390 days. No, you know, Elijah ate from an unclean bird, a raven. An unclean bird brought a Jewish prophet food to eat from. Isaiah preached naked for three years. Don't do this. (laughs) I mean, David danced down to his ephod. At least he still had underwear on, right? But, you know, Isaiah the prophet preaching naked. You say, how in the world could God ask his holy prophet to do that? That's, you know, public nudity. He's going to get a ticket. It was to show that, you know, Israel was uncovered and they were, you know, they were, there was issues that they were uncovered by their sin and judgment was coming. So God had a point in it. But my point is that prophets did weird things. Jeremiah cried all the time, known as the weeping prophet. What a buzzkill. Don't invite Jeremiah to the party. You know, I mean, he's just like, he, he, he cries all the time. He's the weeping prophet. Hosea married a prostitute, and then he named his children unloved 
and not my people. I could go on and on. The prophets were weird. Jesus did some weird things. People do weird things. You're weird too. You know, you, you pick one person to live with your whole life, and you get to find out how weird that one person is. I'm not going to say anything more than that. I got to sleep indoors tonight. The truth is this. We should not be shocked when weird things happen in the kingdom of God. Oh, no, the Holy Spirit began to move, and people made noises, and some people shouted, and then one person cried, and it was just really weird. So... I just went over and over that, you know, weird stuff happens in the kingdom of God. There are weird things that happen. We shouldn't be shocked if something happens weird, if something's a little weird in church. Now, the only thing we should do is determine whether it is of the flesh or it's of the spirit. Amen. We don't need the flesh here. We don't need the out. When the flesh happens and it's weird, all it does is attract attention to a person and away from Jesus. If something happens and it's the Spirit, it attracts attention to the, to the Father. It attracts attention to God. Amen. So we've got to determine whether it's the flesh or the Spirit. When Jesus plugged this guy's ears and he spit and touched his tongue, it was the Holy Spirit. It was a unique encounter. And remember, they were all alone. So this is happening here for, for a reason to this man, a unique reason. Just because it's weird doesn't mean it's not God. And just because it's weird doesn't mean it is God. It's either of the flesh or it's of the spirit. So once we get past the weird here and what Jesus is doing, spitting and plugging and touching tongues and all kinds of stuff that I wouldn't recommend doing, but verse 34 shows three powerful things that Jesus does. And I want to cover these three things with you. It says in 33 that he took the man aside from the crowd by himself, put his fingers in his ears. After spitting, he touched his tongue with saliva. That's weird. Verse 34, this happens. And looking up to heaven with a deep sigh, he said to him, Ephatha, that is, be open. So Jesus does three things here in 34 that we need to take a look at. Number one, he looks up. So he does his, his weird stuff there, and then he looks up. And what I want you to get out of this is Jesus, being fully God and fully man, still took the time to acknowledge the source of where his spiritual power was coming from. Jesus looked up. What is he looking up? Did he notice a cloud? Did he see a bird? No. He's looking up at the Father. He's acknowledging his power comes from on high. He's showing us that he only does what he saw the Father doing. So here's Jesus looking up, what? To acknowledge his source, and that's what we should do. When we need spiritual power, when we need spiritual answers, when we need to exercise spiritual authority, we shouldn't look around. We shouldn't look for, you know, someone who's more spiritual. We should look up to heaven, amen? We've got to acknowledge our source. And Jesus does this. He models that for us. Why? Because if we won't look up, then we, we don't connect ourselves to the power supply. Amen? He looks up. He models the fact that we should acknowledge our spiritual power source, where the authority comes from. And he, he's about to do a miracle here, but he acknowledges the Father. Then the second thing he does is he sighs. Did you notice that? Did you ever have someone, you know, you're sitting with them and they're just like, ugh. Ugh. 
Doesn't it make you happy to be with them? You know, you're real stimulating, exciting. <sighs> if your wife does that, she wants to say something, guys. Heads up. She's not clearing her throat. But Jesus sighs here, and it's no accident that he does. What he's doing is he's expressing emotion. That was a loaded sigh. And I'm going to show you three things that that sigh represented. But what he's showing here is that, uh, you know, expressing emotion is a valid part of the miraculous. When people get free, when people get delivered, when people get healed, there's emotions involved, amen? There might be shouting, there might be tears, there might be laughter. Jesus laid hands on people and they leapt and shout and praised God. Why? Because they were crippled and now they could walk. So emotions are valid. You know, you don't say, well, come to the altar. We're going to pray for you and just be very quiet. And if anything happens, write it down on a piece of paper and give it to the ushers. Look, I'm being funny here this morning. That's not what you're supposed to do. When someone prays for you and God delivers you, you're going to have an emotional response. And it's okay. You know, we, we try to be so stoic when it comes to God. These same people who are dead silent in church and look like wax museum statues. If they go to a baseball game or a football game, they're the same ones. Their faces are painted. They got clothes on. They're woo! They got a big foam finger. But in church, well, I'm just not very emotional. You're a liar. You're emotional. I said to first service, we'll get a tank of water up here and we'll hold your head under until you get emotional. No, would you just be like, give me that. Come on. There's emotion involved. There's a response involved. There, there, if we don't cry out, if we don't shout for joy, if we don't leap with joy, if we don't lift our voices and praise God, come on, the rocks are going to do it for us. Oh, here's what Jesus' sigh meant. Three things. Number one, his sigh showed his frustration with the broken state of man. Jesus loved man. It's what, what he came to die for men who were lost in their sin. And he sees the broken state of this guy. And he knows the guy's whole story just by looking in his eyes. And he knows everything he's been through. And he sighs. Why? Because the broken state that this guy was in. Jesus' sigh also showed his disdain for the works of darkness. That sickness wasn't punishment from God. That sickness is not from God. These things are not from God. They're from the results of sin. They're from the enemy. And so Jesus sees the works of darkness displayed in this man's life and all the suffering and isolation and emotional pain that this guy had been through, not being able to communicate, not being able to speak. He sighs to show his disdain for the works of darkness. Jesus is, lastly, he's empathizing with this man. Isn't it good to know that we serve a God who gets it how we feel? We serve a risen Lord who understands what we go through. He knew the frailty of sin. He knew the weakness of the flesh. He knew what temptation was. And he relates to us. Here's a guy who's isolated, Jesus sighs and connects with him. Because why? It's an expression that I know what you're going through and I empathize with you. You know, many of us think Jesus is looking down on us today and he's just going, mm, 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 shaking his head. I can't, these people, I'm telling you, they wear me out. 
No, I believe he sees what we go through on a daily basis, and he's sighing right now because he relates to us and he empathizes with us, and he wants to heal us. Number three, the third thing that Jesus does here after he gets done with the weird, he looks up, he sighs, and then he speaks. Look what he says, Ephatha. That means be opened. And I want you to notice something about what he says. Think, well, when you do a miracle, you've got to say the right words, you know. You've got to say a lot of words. So, some of us think that a lot of words equal spiritual. You know, there's a lot of people who say a lot but don't say much. They talk a lot, but they, there's no substance. You know, if you can't get to the point, don't go on the journey. People... People are looking at each other and pointing now. <laughs> Do you ever hear someone, they just talk, talk, talk. I sat with someone a, a while back, talked for an hour and a half. I have no idea what they said. No, no, a voluminous wave of words. All the ladies are going, what, what is he talking about? There's no explaining you, Keith. We just pray for you. We talk and we talk and we talk, but we don't say much. Here's Jesus performing a miracle. He says one word. You know, he says, be opened. It's not cryptic. It's not, you know, there's not a hidden meaning in there. It's not, you know, you have to look up the Greek and figure out what he's trying. No, it's just simple. And I want you to see that here. He's not complicated. He's not super spiritual. He's not using speech to, to make himself you know, puff himself up or to, or to sound like he, he just says, be open. It's simple. It's direct. It's a deaf ears. Be opened. We can learn a lot from this. Amen. You and I need to choose our words carefully when we exercise our spiritual authority. It's not volume. It's saying the right words. You and I should pray that the Lord fills our mouth with the right words to say. Amen. When I look, I, I, I study, I do take notes, I, I do all this stuff, but I pray, Lord, fill my mouth with the word of God. Amen. Because all the chicken scratch and all the things that I do, listen, it, it'll do nothing for anybody. But if God can speak through us, one word from him, oh, praise the Lord. One word from him can change everything in our lives. Verse 35 is an example of of the type of miracle we love to see. It's instant results. We like instant things, amen? And it says, and his ears were opened, and immediately his tongue was removed and began speaking plainly. So it's an instant miracle here. talked about this before, that there are some miracles that are instant and some are progressive. Some Christians, when they get saved, they get delivered from all kinds of things. I've heard testimonies, well, I, I received Jesus Christ and I never had a desire for drugs and alcohol again. I received Jesus Christ and I stopped smoking that day. I've never picked it up again. I received Jesus Christ and I don't think the same. I don't do it. And, and it's instant, amen. That's a great thing, isn't it? Thank God for instant miracles. Thank God for when, you know, we're going through stuff and God says, it's over, it's done. And he just, boom, he turns the switch and we're free. But there are some miracles that we go through that are progressive, you know, and you say, well, why? And, and we're going to cover one that Jesus does that's progressive when, you know, he tells some people to go show themselves to the priest, and he doesn't heal them immediately. They're healed on the way in their obedience. We're going to cover that. But understand something. You say, well, I don't like progressive miracles. I want instant ones. Yeah, I, I hear you, but you and I don't get to choose what kind of miracle we get because we don't know what kind of miracle we need. 
You know, sometimes the only way we really get free is if we really have to struggle getting out of the ditch. You know, the best way to get free from financial struggles is what? Is not to have someone pay your bills off by you to pay them one, one at a time, knock those credit cards down, get free, get out. It takes a huge struggle to get out, and that keeps us from jumping right back in. God can do a whole bunch of instant miracles, fix this problem and fix that problem and heal my body and get me what I need. And you know what? We never grow spiritually, we never become mature, and we never display discipline. And usually we wind up in a worse state than when we started. So instant or progressive, whatever the miracle may be, I want you to know, never stop praying, never stop repenting of sin, never stop learning how to overcome. He's teaching us to be overcomers. Never stop doing any of those things until you're completely free. Whom the sun sets free is free indeed. And so labor for that and believe for that, whether instant or progressive. This guy, it's great. It's over for him. Jesus has sighed. He's expressed the emotion. He's identified. He's isolated the isolated man. He stuck his fingers. He spit on his tongue. And what? Now he can hear. Now he can speak plainly, instantly. It's a miracle. And it's what God does. Verse 36 through 37 is... You know, uh, there again, another theme in Scripture. Jesus does this powerful miracle, and he wants to keep it quiet here, and he doesn't have much success. Look what it says. And he gave them orders. So you got healed by Jesus, and now he tells you to do something. How many think, you know, if Jesus just healed you, you would listen? No, you wouldn't. He gave them orders not to tell anyone, but the more he ordered them, the more widely they continued to proclaim it. They were utterly astonished, saying, he has done all things well. He makes even the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. So Jesus says, guys, you know, yeah, I brought this guy aside. I healed him. He's healed. But Now there's part of me that says, Jesus, are you kidding me with that? Because they're not going to. You know, why are you asking for this? They're not going to do it. He's asking them to do something, and he wants them to, but it, he's showing his heart here. He doesn't want the fanfare. He doesn't want the crowds. He doesn't want the accolades. He does all things well. Could you hear them? In the same group that say, give us Barabbas. He doesn't care about that. And so he's like, shh, it's not my time. What did he say to Mary? You know, she said, they, they're out of wine. He's like, woman, it's not my time. But, you know, all right, we're going to turn some water into wine here. Did you see that? It, it's, it's not that he wants to, he, he doesn't want to create a stir. He doesn't want to, he healed this man out of compassion because he connected with him. But he didn't do it for the fanfare. Now, everybody's amazed. Everybody's talking. It's spreading all over the place. And I want to say this. You know, I wonder how many more miracles God would do in the Western church if we weren't so prone to merchandise them when they came. Oh, you know, he did a miracle here, and, 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 and this man, and now I'm going to write a book, and now I'm on Christian TV, and now I'm the miracle man, and it's all about me, and it's all about my ministry. You know, pride and ego get in the way. I believe we'd have a lot more mi miracles and a lot more outbreaks of the kingdom of God doing amazing things if people would stop trying to take the credit and the glory for them themselves. This, this is a problem. This is what I believe holds back the supernatural, especially in the West here. 
is that we want to profiteer off it. We want to merchandise it. You know, I, I get this. This is not a happy, clappy, amen part of the message, but it needs to be said. If God does things in our church that are miraculous, he heals people, and he has, he's healed people of cancer, all kinds of diseases, great. And we want you to give your testimony, but it's never to elevate me. It's never to elevate this ministry. It's never to elevate anyone but Jesus, amen. Don't you dare say, you know, such and such a pastor healed me. I've heard people, I went to so-and-so's ministry, and he healed me. Are you kidding me? I've had people say to me, well, you laid hands on it and you healed me. And not me. Jesus healed you, amen. I have no power to heal. I can barely put a Band-Aid on. But the prayer of faith will heal the sick, amen. Let's remember to always give the glory to God. I believe, if we, I believe the kingdom would advance so powerfully if people would stop trying to take the credit for it. Jesus didn't come to build a denomination, to lift up personalities, to, to build church movements. No, he came to glorify the Father. And healing glorifies the Father, and God needs to get all the glory for it, not man. Jesus asked them to be quiet, and they can't. And it spreads all the way over, and that's why everywhere Jesus went, there was crowds. But he didn't care about the accolades of man he advanced the kingdom of God. He connected with people because he loved people. He healed people, not for the fanfare, but because he loved people. And he'll heal you today because he loves you and he wants to connect with you and he wants to sigh over the things that have afflicted you and he came to destroy those things and bring freedom to the captives. Let's give him praise in Jesus' name.